0: We're joined on the morning brief by Scott Reid, CTV political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister
1: Paul Martin. Nice to have you. Hope you're staying warm. I, I am. I've managed to, uh, uh, you know, to keep the power on, and uh, and I've got a snow fort in the back, which can be oddly insulating. Uh, they can actually, yes. Yeah, quite. You can feel quite warm inside
0: a snow fort. I thought not to go too, down, too far down the uh, path, but I found it very interesting this weekend following the situation out west where it was extremely cold and where Alberta was facing the possibility of a brownout. And I came across a guy on Twitter uh, saying, no government's going to tell me how to use electricity. And I thought, fine, enjoy the blackout.
1: Well, I don't know if you want to dive into that topic, but that's part of the issue in my mind, right? So one of the things that makes it interesting is that, you know, Danielle Smith's, uh, you know, kind of convoy culture government Mm -hmm. doesn't want to say to people, hey, you know what? We're experiencing shortages, and but it's gonna take a little bit of pitching in to get through the next three days. So please turn out your lights when you can, conserve energy where possible. Her, you know, hang them high. I'm not gonna take my instructions from the government, uh, kind of you know, attitude leads them into a place where they're unenthusiastic about suggesting such things to people, and therefore she does take. Uh, the government to the break. It's like it's when these kinds of mentalities and ideologies run into a head-on collision with. Well, what what constitutes good government, and do you have responsibilities as the head of government to do certain things, like encourage people to get vaccinated? And she won't do it. So you know yeah. she'll get reelected over and over and over again. But it's uh, it's a pathetic demonstration of a lack of leadership yeah
0: everybody was trotting out their hobby horses and people were complaining about renewables even though alberta has more renewables than anybody else in canada and then the last word on this scott would be that mostly the electrical system is run by the private sector in alberta uh,
1: there's it's a comp it's a very complex issue for, for co- no question but you watch for sure the immediate consequence of this is the controversy that's been stirring there for a number of months about Alberta's government backing off of renewables would now be turned into a weapon post this so the government is going to say after failing to take the necessary prudential steps to ensure the people could have power in the middle of a deep freeze weather event they're going to say see this just highlights how wise we are and that silly stupid renewables aren't reliable and therefore let's dig the coal out of the ground and eat it for breakfast City Council,
0: uh, City Councilor, actually, Brad Bradford, is going to join us this morning at 8.20 to talk about Toronto's tobogganing ban. But what say you?
1: I'm kind of with them. Like, you know, if there's specific places where there are specific problems. Like when I was a kid at Zwick's Island in Prince Edward County or just o- over the bridge from Prince Edward County, we go tobogganing and there was like a big pole at the end of the hill. You are like, is that smart? Like, you know, one in eight kids would just like completely face plant into that and they'd go home and they couldn't smell or do math. I don't think we have that situation. So it's just a question of, hey, there's not a ton of snow, you know, use some common sense. And if people choose not to use common sense, is that the city's fault? So uh, we've got like, what? Like we have you know enforcement officers out in parks saying, "No, oh, all right, put that crazy carpet back of the car, you nine-year-old outlaw." I, I'm with them. It's sort of silly. Giorgio Mamalidi, former city
0: councilor. have to say, haven't thought of him in a long time, but not missing him at city council, except for the color that he brought to the table, I guess. Uh, he had two, well, he still does, Rob Ford bobblehead dolls, but he's selling one of them for $1,800. I have a hard time believing anybody's going to pay that much.
1: Uh, me too. Uh, the collectibles market has taken a bit of a punch in the throat since... Um since stuff got times got tough and interest rates rose or and uh, inflation jacked up, but you know you know more power to him. I'm going to say this would be the only time we may Nick may want to capture this on tape for future reference. I think this would be the only time I've ever been tempted to say the following phrase. Maybe I'll copy. Giorgio Mameli. Uh, I've got m- number four hundred fifty nine of the one thousand original run of the uh, the Rob Ford bobbleheads. If he gets eighteen hundred dollars, I'm going to be sorely tempted to put this thing on the market. Um, but you know, I, I know, It also feels kind of greasy, doesn't it? Like, in a big shock. It's Mammaliti. but <laughs> that was such a strange time. Now I'm going to make money off the dead memory of the drug-addled. Uh Lampoonish mayor of Toronto. I don't know. You know what? I'm keeping it on my shelf. I'm gonna keep it there as a memory of those bright and sunny days.
0: Well, there is a patina of respectability. And again, this is so Giorgio Mamaliti. He says anything over twelve hundred dollars that he gets, he will give to charity. So oh, there you go. And this
1: no, is stupid. He... It's
0: absolutely stupid. It's even more stupider. <laughs> okay. That's a little vintage Giorgio Mamaliti oh Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, let's get to more serious things, and that would include Israel and Hamas observing 100 days of war. I think officially yesterday was the day of 100 days. Uh, the White House is saying it's time for Israel to move into a new phase, Scott, because the death toll has become untenable.
1: Well, it's an, obviously, it's a gassy situation. Um, but... You know, it is very difficult for Israel. What are they supposed to do? how How can they, having experienced October seventh, contemplate a future where their physical security and their friends and families uh, continue to be at risk? I mean, unless you eliminate the ability of Hamas to do what they did on the seventh of October—to bust into uh, bust into neighborhoods, um, you know, take people by force, murder others—how how, how can the Government of Israel turn to its citizens and say, "Well, we're going to work out like Hamas, even though it's a terrorist group, even though it's not a nation state, even though it actually adheres to no rules or obligations, they've made us a promise at some big table set somewhere else that they're not going to do it again. it's It's very difficult. Yet we can't continue this way. So you know, i I, I look at it and I feel I feel a good measure of hopelessness because I just don't think there's um, there's logical conditions for some kind of sustaining peace fire or cessation of hostilities. And I'm sorry, but I come down firmly on the side of Israel. Um, you know, they, they murdered, kidnapped, and raped their people. And uh, I just don't know how we can expect folks to just say, okay, well, bygones, we'll just live with that threat uh, omnipresent. And it's too bad because,
0: you know, for the United States, there was some degree of satisfaction in knocking off Osama bin Laden, who was the mastermind of the attack on the Twin Towers. Um, And and the movement was largely obliterated. But at the same time, that also came at the price of an invasion of Iraq, which had nothing to do with it.
1: Yeah. And again, so you look at it, you say, well, is there, you know, is is there one towering figure that if you eliminated, it would mean that the. The snake will have lost its head. Not really. Um, And so all you can do is degrade their ability to make war. And it's almost impossible to do that from a military standpoint without causing the sort of absolute humanitarian devastation that we've witnessed. It's, It's a hell of a fix. So they've produced
0: a list of the 75 biggest moments in television. Probably not a hard list to compile. Actually, I don't think it's all that debatable. The landing on the moon, "I Have a Dream" by Martin Luther King, the Beatles' first appearance on American television. There's the finale of MASH, a Charlie Brown Christmas, the end of The Sopranos. But uh, what are your thoughts?
1: So the the two that really jump out for me, in my at my age, I'm 55, and so I'm not old enough to remember the moon landing. I was, you know literally turning 1 year old but um the space shuttle i was at high school um you know people had gathered to watch it and just the startling kind of eye blinking did that just happen moment of it when we realized that, yep, it had blown up. And uh, and and of course, you've got the, the engineer from NASA saying, from Mission Control saying, it appears we've experienced a catastrophic malfunction, right. saying that as neutrally as, as Zoe had said, I'm picking up milk on my way home. Um, so I'll never forget that. I also, the, the last episode of MASH was a big deal. I was at my Aunt Margaret and Uncle Gord's house. They had neighbors and friends over. It was a huge deal. I remember being very, very disappointed because Hawkeye wasn't Hawkeye. I wanted a, I wanted something akin to the first uh, first season. So, those two jump out. And the other one for me was the end of Sopranos because I just remember the final scene and I'm calling friends and going, "I, I, I did you watch? It, it, it did the is my TV broken? Is the network (laughs) broken? And over time, I've come to believe that it's an absolute act of genius, that funnel scene. I'm on the same page with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
0: That is Scott Reed with the Morning Brief.